so we had a pretty interesting uh, guest today in uh, Cullum Crowley. Um, I suppose if, I, if you don't mind me jumping ahead there, let's, so I suppose one of the big things that I took from today's chat was just if you're a coach or you're a teacher, just somebody who's in, involved in in coaching, um, I suppose, uh, athletes in general uh, from, at an underage uh, level, that you're actually looking at your... The, the the people you're actually coaching you're looking at what it is that you, uh, that they're trying to improve on what it is they're trying to get better at what it is that they would enjoy doing and not just following maybe your own kind of preconceived playbook of what you think uh, they should be doing um so I, I think that was that was one of the big kind of nuggets for me today is that you're actually paying attention you know if you're working with you know under sixes uh, or whether it's on or under 15s or whoever it is you're looking at what they will enjoy doing and what they'll benefit from more so than what you perceive to be, you know, what they should be doing. It was certainly an indulgence on my part in that, like, my main interests, adolescence, coaching and hurling. So, like, it was everything I ever need in a podcast. Brought a little bit closer to home, a little bit closer to home for Shane today and that we talked about Dublin, albeit the north side, but still. We're getting closer. It's a step in the right direction. We're getting closer and closer to that golden southern Southern Hemisphere we call South Dublin. But yeah, it was a brilliant chat and I loved just hearing the emphasis that he puts on communication because like, I know we say it all the time, but like you can have all the coaching skill and all the drills in the world. If you can't communicate or you can't talk to your players, it goes out the window. It's absolutely no use to us. So it was great to, it was great to hear him put the emphasis on that where it, where it should be. Cool. Well, I suppose without further ado, we jump right in. Here we go. Episode, I think 39, seeing as Shane wasn't able to count last week. Mr. Colin Crowley. So Colin, currently working with Cork, but you would have started previously as a GPO role up in Dublin. Some people would say you are single-handedly responsible for Dublin's current dominance in Gaelic football. That's why you largely set up the coach in the game to try in a roundabout way and make up for that, that complete dominance, as I said, by Dublin and hopefully bring back up not just Cork, but also the the standard in every other county, but you've moved it across to Hurland, so people will take the emphasis off of you. What do you say to that accusation? Do you know what? It's actually something that gets labelled at me a good bit, is that uh, I've trained more players to win an All-Ireland football title than I have any Hurling title of any level at any level at any uh, level at all in the in the country because I was fortunate enough in, in 2011, to, uh, 2012 as well actually, in 2013 I was coaching Dublin Miners, Minor Hurlers, and we had Kieran Kilkenny, um, Imad O'Kneela, Cormac Costello, Eric Lowndes, uh, Conor McHugh. Um, I'm probably forgetting one or two of them now, but there was a clatter of them went on from playing hurling. Well, they played football as well, obviously, but they went on to to be fairly fairly successful footballers. So, I said, yeah, I did my bit for them. I did my bit, I think. Yeah, I've heard of one or two of those, all right. So was that while you were a GPO up in Dublin, is Yeah, yeah. So, I would have been GPO in Dublin from... October 07 till December and 2013 and I came back to Cork not not long after Cork got beaten in the all Ireland final by Clare um but I suppose you know it was it was a case of really enjoying what I was doing in Dublin but I suppose it was just the, the year we had with Cork getting up to Dublin so often and a bunch of friends from home and spending a lot of time with them I just kind of got the itch to to get back and spend spend a bit more time closer to home so I ended up ended up back in the Rebel County 
Were you at the same club the whole time in Dublin or were you around a couple of different clubs? I would have had two different clubs. I would have worked with St. Morris out in Rush. So I don't know if any of you are familiar with that or if you ever heard of it. Um, Kieran Archer would be the, the star man, let's say the Dublin under 20 footballers the last two years. They'd be a, f- a traditional football club, um, country football club, I suppose. They would have, in the past, I suppose, would have prided themselves on being hardy country folk. And when the lads from the city came out, they'd get a bit of a kick in and dumping. Um, but in fairness, they're they're a very, very progressive club. You know, they've Camogie ladies football. They would have got to, I think, in All-Ireland. They would have won an All-Ireland junior ladies football. They'd have a couple of girls playing underage Camogie for Dublin and stuff now. Um, and their hurling would be fairly progressive as well. Like Owen Connery would have played with the Dublin senior hurlers probably, I think it was three years ago. He would have played two and three years ago. Um, and again, unheard of for a, a football, traditional small football club like and from there I went on to Nafina. So I spent two and a half years in Nafina. Uh big, big operation, serious club, but serious people there. I think that's that's what they have. As well as having a huge kind of captive areas, they they've got great, great people involved in the club that just keep that ship rolling, you know. And it does take an awful lot, like it's I suppose they have as many members as a lot of as some a few small counties, you know. But to keep that show on the road is a, it's a fair operation. They're both north side they are. Shane is thinking he has to apply for a passport to go across to one of those clubs. It was stay clear. It's weeks preparation before we went up that in. I'm cool on myself, so we're as outside as they come, so didn't look forward yeah, yeah. to those trips across the Liffey. <laughs> like everybody in Dublin would be on about likes going out to St. Mars and stuff like that has been been miles away. And I'm down I'm from Cork, like and I'm from Kill Island. Jesus, anywhere in Dublin is grand. Um and but people used to have the oh they won't come out there they'll give walkovers to the underage you know I've gone all the way out to St Morris, Jesus it's like going as I said it's like me going to the shop on a normal day back in the day like but it's um I said it was nice and compact Dublin I, I really liked that about Dublin is that everywhere is within kind of close close proximity but uh, I don't think the Dubs appreciated it as enough. Yeah, it's quite close, but I think traffic does become that bit more of an issue. Nafina there, like, they're really progressive, like, you know, linking in with saying Pat's part of DCU now in terms of using the facilities. But I know even, just from chatting to Stephen Bean, who we had on before, oftentimes their biggest challenge is not so much pulling in players, but actually managing where to find space for the players to train. That, like, the amount of players you have on kind of one main pitch, that you're working with such small areas the whole time. He said he even found it, like, at the start of the year. It takes about four games to get the, you know, 14s or 15s or 16s used to just playing on a full pitch. Because they never actually managed to get access to it um, of a normal train night. Which is, like, I know my own club, we're, like, trying to get 15 players to put on the pitch. Which is such a completely opposite, like, situation than they have. Yeah, they, like, the, that was the major problem um, that they have, like, is is, is pitch space. You know, they've got the, the main pitch in Movie Road. They've got two AstroTurfs there on site. They use the school pitch next door, um, which is essentially their second pitch. And in, in fairness, they've got a couple of parks around. But I remember, was it the, when they ran about the, the metro that they were going to take away to close the pitch there for a couple of months or a couple of years? Like, it would have torn the heart out of the globe, you know? And, and in fairness to Nafina, they're, they're as close, I think, to a country club ethos within you know as i've seen in a let's say a large urban club in that they're very very socially um adaptable you know they've got like they've, they've they cover everything there's handball there's grounders there's ladies football there's camogie they have a social they've got um crowd playing cards bingo whatever there's something nearly every night and it really is the social hub of the community like and if that was going to be taken off them 
Um, and I think they were definitely losing another pitch as well up by in Albert College at that time as well, you know. And I think they actually, I'm saying that now, I'm, I'm following the Metro line up and they had pitches out in Collistown um, or Collinstown out by the airport and they were going to lose them as well. So kind of three of their main pitches, that the three of their pitches they use were going to be taken off in one full swoop. Um, so in, in fairness, like, look, they, they've, they've got a huge area in a way. Um, they're kind of the, the closest club to the inner city. Um, I don't know if there are nine, nine or eleven, nine or ten schools that we used to go into in primary school, but a few of them now were in three or four, three or four teacher schools. They were small, but um, you know, it is their problem. Their their problem is space, like and managing the teams. Each, I used to say that each age group, um, at underage from under, let's say thirteen down, was like a mini club. You needed a chairman, you needed a secretary, you needed somebody to look after, and you'd know as well, Shane, in Cooler, like it's the same in Ballyboden, Crokes, um. Vincent's Bridget's, you know, there's, they're 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 just gigantic, like, and it, and if any team won any title in Dublin underage bar outside of the five of them, it was an unbelievable achievement. And I'm not saying winning is important at underage, but like, you got you got five or six clubs there that even competing with them, they should just nearly be put away, you know. You play each other there for ten years, lads, and we leave to leave everyone else with a chance of being as good as they can because it's just it's tough. It's madness, even like I presume it's the exact same with Nafina, but from Kula's point of view, like any school in the area that has an AstroTurf pitch, any football club, any rugby club, like for the five weeknights, if you go down there, there's a Kula team training on a quarter of a pitch or a half of a pitch, like they're training in everyone else's facilities just because, like, numbers wise, they have so much more than anything else in the area. And like, I presume it's the same at Bowden, it's the same at Crokes, it's going to be the same in Nafina. And like with Dublin's success, the popularity is only growing and the game's growing, and there's just sounds like kind of first world problems kind of from Dublin have won yeah. so much but like you don't have anywhere to put all these teams and they're just playing it's madness it's a ridiculous problem to have but it's it is a very real problem for Dublin clubs yeah yeah and like we wouldn't like in Cork in Cork then let's say it would be it'd be the opposite in a way that like the clubs in Cork are really really well facilities you know like I'm just thinking oh I live I live in the greater Douglas area let's say um but they, they've got two full pitches and they've got a huge training area now that's been developed in the last few years. You've got Nemo Rangers down the road with, with like, I'm sure everyone is aware of their facilities. The Bears have three pitches and an AstroTurf. Bishopstown are after putting in a full-size AstroTurf as well as two other pitches. Um, And that's just the city, you know, there's a bit of space there and I suppose they would have got the land back in the day, but uh, like Ballyboden, sure when was Ballyboden invented? Was it the late 60s or something? And, you know, like land is a, it's an expensive commodity in Dublin, like. And is that impacted as well by so many country people moving to Dublin? Does that kind of drive the popularity of it a bit? Like so many, you know, maybe younger teachers or young people in business to have, you know, the better, I suppose, economic opportunities you move to Dublin, but you bring your, your from home interest in GA to Dublin, get involved locally. That drives interest, you know, of people who traditionally from the country want to keep that link. Their children go and play GA, you get more involved in GA and kind of, you know, in a, an almost vicious circle it, it's going to drive that even more and uh, but like could you see that happening a bit now in cork in the next while that maybe some of them become huge clubs or or nemo even on the way there yeah it is it is happening um you're saying that now when i'm going like one of the things we'd say in like all the the, the urban clubs let's say and i bring in the balancolics Lines, even middleton into this as well glenn myers ours um is dave dave what they have is exactly what you said they've got a lot of young people migrating into the area um starting their families but these people because of the jobs they're in 
um they're going for the look, the high paid jobs are in the cities you know um and you got people with with really good skill sets who would be able to benefit any club or any society that they're going in and they're getting a part of the GA club. And what we'd see an awful lot, and I suppose it's one of the small problems in the GA would be that you've got really, really good people getting involved in underage clubs and they don't, I suppose there's a bit of a glass ceiling in a lot of clubs, you know, there's the kind of, I don't want to say this in a bad way, but there's a lot of traditional values still in the adult section of clubs and where you'd have good people who might, you know, they, they'll, they'll cause a bit of bother and they might stir up a few things. But they, they don't get the opportunities a lot of time to move into the adult sections of clubs. And, like, it's one of the things that somebody I know that, that always says, it's just always going to be good clubs, it's always going to be average clubs, and it's always going to be shit clubs. And just it's just the way our life is going to be, because we get, we all can't be brilliant. There always has to be a top, middle, and a bottom. Um, But a lot of the time, the clubs that will stay down the bottom, they, they never really make a, a chance to move out of there. And a lot of the time is because, well, look, the urban clubs obviously don't have that issue because numbers just they, they gradually just get them up the ladder but it's a small bit of progressive thinking that a, a person will bring to a, a traditional GA club that mightn't be valued um and what you see with the likes of the douglases um bishopstown bears they're, they're inviting these people in open hands they come on yeah come on keep coming whatever and we'll work you up the ladder and you mentioned about nemo like D- douglas would have had 90 players at a blitz two years ago at under seven and like I, i'm living in douglas um my kids are going to grow up here like and i'm kind of going jesus one of 90 like is that a, is that a club that can really look after that player and that person and give them something that they'll enjoy and they'll remember fondly you know not just about winning failures and winning premier one under 14s but is there are they going to be still involved in it in 30 40 years like like i am will they still have that positive in feel i suppose that they might get and i suppose it is one of the problems at the big clubs is that the rate of attrition is is phenomenal like it really is um like i know i did a workshop with a club lately and they had they, they won a minor county and there was 30 players on the panel and there's only five of them still playing football five years later and like that's that's not that's not one of these big big clubs this is just a, a normal sort of town team and you're kind of going like that's not good enough like and a lot of it comes from as i said the people in the club at the top side their only worry is on the field are we winning things can we pay our book can we keep the books balanced and can we win stuff on the field whereas underage is a lot more like are we helping the person are we developing kids are we making them better people and you know like i think a lot of the coaching terminology and stuff out there nowadays is about that and the people that are more likely to tune in to this 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 podcast or any if you're doing a webinar or anything they're probably young younger coaches or novice coaches i call them people are trying to learn they're like they're learning and they're going well look john said this and colin said the same thing so like they must be onto something whereas the people a lot of time in the the traditional people and i say that and i don't mean that in a bad way but they, they're not coming out to the, they're not listening to the new way and they're not listening to what eddie jones is saying or what stuart lancaster is saying or what right you know right in or whoever they're not listening to what people are saying about values and putting in culture. And I know that's a buzzword and it, it doesn't mean a lot for people. But I think we need to get people around to kind of constantly challenging themselves. And I know coach education probably falls down a small bit in the GA at that level, I think. Coach education, I've noticed, and we chat a bit to Colm Nally about it as well. Like I tutor as do you, as does Colm and everything. And 
in a way, when it came in that everyone has to be up to a certain, you know, badge as they say in FAI, but Foundation Award 1, Award 2 to coach at such an age group, you do have to strike the balance between education and certification and also say, well, these are the stuff to, to abide by coaching Ireland that we have to do. And then be very careful of how you layer in more of the values, the development of the person. Because when you have people who are there because they have to be, it's very hard to get them on your side to go into more detail on that stuff. Whereas it's, have you got have you got all PDF drills there? And you're like, you know, you have to give them that. Even though like you're thinking, this is not the ideal way to develop hurdlers, but I need to get you on side. And you're trying to give them stuff to you. are like, that's not ideal, but I need to get you on side so I can start giving you more of this other stuff here. That's how you're trying to often strike the balance there as well. Whereas if people were choosing to go to the coaching courses of their own choice, say, oh, I would really benefit from this. You can give them whatever and they'll soak it up. So I think that's why it's a little bit harder to try to manage that. But I do still think, you know, GA coach education at times can be doing a better job though. Yeah, like I do I do think it's 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 a serious gap in the market. And I, I when I say that is like is you've got people out there, like you've look as I said, you've got coaching the game. Um you've got people eating up that stuff. And the GA when I what I'd say to that and what somebody said to me about six months ago, and it wasn't in relation to that, but it was in relation to somebody else doing something. Um and what 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 the lad what the person said to me was like, the GA are not serving its purpose, or the GA coach education are not serving its purpose. If Daffle is able to make money doing that. No. Look, there's going to be professionals in every walk of life. There's going to be professionals in everything. Um, because look, people want to be better and stuff like that. But there's an awful lot of stuff out there, and you're kind of going, Well, if he's doing a webinar on that, why aren't the GA doing a webinar on that? Why aren't the GA doing an offering of part of their award one course? And it is what you said, like people people do the award one because they have to. And people do the foundation because they have to. And Jesus, wouldn't it be great if we got people actually wanting to come into the foundation and go Look, you don't get anything, but we'd like to think you might learn a bit. And it might just be that bit more interested. You see, like it's exactly what you said, but a lot of the time, and I and I know, look, the GA they're going to be changing their model, um, or just talk of changing the model in line with the new player pathway. But it's um, it's difficult to see how we can change that mindset because, like I know, Cork Cork is a classic example that, like I I tweeted there about an article. I don't know if you've seen it from, it was nineteen sixty seven or something sixty eight. And it was the first workshop, GA workshop in Gormanstown College. It was a week-long residential. Now, I think it only ran for a year or two because it cost so much money and they couldn't keep it going. But there was nobody from Cork went to it. They were the only county not represented. And I'm just going, do you know what? That fuck, that ticks the box. Like, that just, I know down here, like, that they, they like, we might have to do a crash course for inter-county manager because they have to be in Ward 2. And she's we got to do a foundation in Ward 1, Ward 2. No, I'm not saying it happens regularly but i'm saying that there's this kind of thing that era and i'm not just saying it's cock either i'd imagine it's it's everywhere that yeah sure i played i played all my life sure what's colin crowley going to teach me about football well sure i'm not going to teach you anything about football but i'm going to teach you how to coach any people there's a distinction there that people don't kind of grasp i feel that if you see a course in coaching courses like this person and and i'd hear it i'd hear it thrown back to us a lot uh, you know i Ah, sure, Jesus Christ, that fellow's doing the workshop. Sure, what, what do you know about it? Like, and I'm going, but that's, he, he doesn't have to know anything about it. I should be able to go in, or we should all, like, if we're interested, if we're coach developers, as I said, John, like, we should be able to go in and do a coach development in ice hockey using the sim- similar principles. We shouldn't have to know exactly the game, but we should know how to coach and what a coach needs to do. And and I feel it's, it's an undervalued skill is the, 
like uh, you mentioned about like the we can give a fellow drills and what you said is we have yeah we have to give him the drills because look if you give him all the drills or give him 10 exercises that'll make him 60 percent competent that'll make the kids somewhat happy that they might come back next week as opposed to what they were doing the week before but we can't a book isn't going to get him the other 40 percent like um and, it, and it, as i said it, it's one of the challenges but it's also the challenge in how we present coach education like what actually is it and i think the ga it'll take i think it'll take a generation to change the mentality of what coach education is um for people because i think there's just as i said people will judge it on more who's talking and what it's about as opposed to how can i be a better coach like every workshop no matter how bad the tutor is you should pick up one thing and and a lot of the time that, that thing might be from the person sitting beside you. But people have to value that there's opportunities to learn and to be better. And if they can take that on board, like it'll be like my job. What I feel is my job as a, G, a GDA is can I ensure kids are getting a better experience in the GA? And that should be a coach's job as a coach's thinking as well. Can the kids, can I make this a better experience than what they're getting already or what they had before or whatever? And uh, I think because it's easy for me to say it because I'm not coaching many teams but like if coaches kind of change their mentality as opposed to trying to win to how can I give these kids a better experience uh, it'd be interesting to see how they might change themselves like and I don't know what you think yourselves about it but like I do think it's it's definitely something that the GA kind of have to grasp like I think we need to bear in mind here as well I think GA coach education is is very much in the middle of a state of flux the first group of lads who got together after Garmentstown and everything even after it moved on from the old home and college and looked to put a structure on it I think that was a really important thing to do I think they did some really good stuff early on and what's highlighting some of it now is the fact that like yourself and we'll talk about coaching the game in a minute and a few others have brought out various resources at the same time as other sports and other NGBs are really driving coach aid hockey tends to do a good job rugby tends to do a good job soccer not always consistent across countries but i know from reading mensch how they're under pro license in germany like it just it highlights how good how professional and how well it can be done and i do think jay is on the way there but i think it's going to be slow and oftentimes more so on the the receiving end of people who are going towards coach education and putting stuff out there in a way that they will actually take it on board as opposed to from the, the designing the, the content end. You know, that brings us on to your own um, Twitter. It started as a Twitter page. I assume it's grown across Facebook, Instagram, all social media platforms now. But coaching the game, do you want to give us just how it started, where it's grown to so far? How it started, like I suppose, do you know what? I'm I'm very fortunate that in my in my my job, and I've got to meet an awful lot of people. You know, I've built a lot of, of connections. Like you know, I said, even yourself, John. I know we would have kind of been over and back on a few things, um, a couple of years ago and stuff like that. But like, I I I don't know exactly why it started. I know that we myself and a couple of people anyway, and one of the WhatsApp groups, I'd say, let's say, I'd consider some of the best coaching minds that I've ever met on a personal basis, right? So, no offense no lads you're not in it right so um but but i i'd, I'd be very comfortable in i suppose talking to them and going through ideas and stuff like that um no we don't a huge amount of it we talk shite most of the time but you know the odd time we would get into a deep coaching conversation but we would have actually started something previous i suppose you know just putting up a few quotes and a few things um it just kind of died a small bit of a ditch you know it just it just a lot of like a lot of twitter pages like, like a lot of podcasts a lot of a lot of things like that to just kind of get a bit of enthusiasm at start and enthusiasm ways out but um 
I don't know. I, I, I actually don't know why I started it. Um, but I just started putting up a small bit of content. And I suppose going back to the same thing I said to you a while ago, I'd like to think if I can help a coach get to 60% from whatever he's at already by just giving him content, kids will have a better experience. And like, I suppose it's about five years now. Um, but I, I think it would have been, it would have been fairly novel idea at the time to be sharing kind of content like that. The GA, as you're aware, I'd like to think, well, maybe you're not aware, maybe it's just Cork. Um, it's very closed door. We're not great to share. We're afraid of what the lads down the road might know about us. And we're not willing to share ideas. Yet, if you go to any other sport in the world, so I think it's Aussie Rules, one of the lads was telling me about this, that at the end of the year, the whoever wins the grand final or whatever it's called, they, there's a three-day seminar or whatever it's called again for the head coaches and the analysts and whatnot, they all go get together. And the head coach of the winning team has to give a presentation of what they did. And everybody else is there, they're going, oh yeah, that's, oh, that explains that now, you know. But the challenge for him then is, how do I adapt and be better next year? Like, we have to share the information. Now, I'd imagine the analysis and stuff like that. And I think it's getting the same in the GA now within the county senior football level. I know there's an analyst group um, that share, they share all each other's matches. And like, it's like if you're involved with Tipperary and you're getting every single match to Cork play, like you should be fairly up to tune with what they're actually doing. And the challenge then for Cork is to, how to keep adapting. But the challenge for Tipperary is how do we actually counter that and be better? And I think the GA, we've always been afraid of what the people on the road are good doing. And I think it's the same now in lockdown. People are going, Jesus, I heard the lads are training down the beach at seven o'clock in the morning or up the woods. Um, and we're all afraid of it, but we're never willing to actually share because... I don't know what it is because, like, I don't think I've got the solution. Christ, if I was the best coach in the world, I'd like to think I'd still be sharing, but I, I, I don't know. I, if I was the best coach in the world, I'd be after winning every title I've ever been involved with. But I, I haven't. I've lost fucking way more games than I've ever won. I've lost, I'd say, out of any finals I've been involved with, I've probably lost 95%, you know. Um, But I think just putting stuff out there and sharing ideas, and it was something Paul O'Brien said to me, and Paul's on the t- Roy Orbison tattoo of me, and Paul is, um, I suppose, like, he, he's like, people wouldn't, people, like, people probably don't know him, like, but he's the, the coordinator in sight in DCU, but he said to me one time, he goes, the, exactly what I said about the, the Aussie thing, is that put out your ideas, share them, and then be better, how do you going to be better, so just say what you're doing in the pre-season training, say what you're doing in your week leading thing, and then adapt and be better. And I suppose it was a small bit of a mindset change when he said that to me. And uh, and Paul would be fairly progressive minded in, in his coaching, like as regards stuff like that. But like, as I said, it just, look, it started with just drills or not drills. It was games and activities. And I suppose the, the title as well, coaching the game, I wanted to get the game into it, that it's not drills. Um, and I do feel that there was an awful fallback to what was done with when I played myself. And a lot of coaches, and it's probably because of the coach education as well. And um, we're not getting that fella. Like, how do we? I, I always use the example of the fellow who played twenty years at his club. Has to coach the under eighteen because he played, and nobody else will do it in a small club. He doesn't really want to be there. How do I actually engage with this person to? to and he doesn't want to do coach education. He doesn't want to go out on a Friday night and Saturday listening to me. Like, how do we actually engage him? Like, and the coach education that I'm offering, and the coach education that Jay are offering, isn't catering for that fella. I think often with that kind of particular fellow and you're looking at him sometimes kind of when you think maybe I can't get through them you're almost playing a damage limitation game so the young coaches won't kind of veer towards like they're obviously eager to learn but you want to make sure they're coming away from the seminar with the coaching modules and the coaching 
information that you've given them and not coming out being like, oh, Johnny played for 20 years and you told me about this drill. I'll go do that straight away. Do you find that when you're working with them? Not really. Like, in fairness, like, I will say, I love, I love to have as coaches because they're, they're like, what I say is they're, they're the same as the kids in the nursery. They are just so open to anything. And like that, no, they will say like, Jesus, if Jodine is on the workshop and Joe says he does it this way, and I'm trying to tell them all they should do it this way. They'll all do it the way Joe does it, like, um, like uh, you know, and that's that, that's natural as well, you know. Um, but I, I think, I, I think like as I said, I think there's so many because the GA as well. You see, we, we've got we we're we're all well. I'm a professional coach, but but ninety nine percent of the coaches involved in clubs are and they're amateurs, and they're people that have got. And when I say amateurs, no, I'm talking pro- proper proper amateur, um, not like amateur GA players, but like. What what I suppose what we're trying to do a lot of the time is we're trying to put out uh, generic content to suit as many as possible, but it that that might only suit sixty percent of the people. And what I'd feel, Shane, like I think one of the biggest problems is that there's not enough real specific content going out. Like, how do we get that coach? What can we do for that coach that I mentioned well ago? Like, I I don't know I don't know if there's something. As I said, it's it's not as much of a difficulty in other sports because they're not like there's not two thousand two hundred hockey clubs in Ireland with a hundred or let's say average 20 coaches per club like um so it's easier to kind of finite the the content to people but I think I think one of the problems we have is, is just that we're not specific um so I don't know what you think about it but I do think it's one of the things and I'd say that it might be generic in a lot of sports is is are, would we be better off doing a workshop in my county for 15 people that is going to be really really specific to as opposed to doing a generic one that uh, sure, 300 people come on the workshop sure aren't we great look 300 people on the workshop last night but sure what were we really doing in it you know like I, I just think that I don't know have you seen other things in other sports that have have done that at a better level like in other sports they tend to be like they go very very specific so you have position specific coaches or like kicking coaches or go or like goalkeeping coaches obviously everyone has them but kind of like really niche and specifics but I think I think you are right when you're covering like such a broad spectrum like that the the skill set for GAA is it kind of is so I suppose drawing that line like obviously if you're narrowing it down to 15 people it's a lot more workshops and a lot more manpower and a lot more time that you're going to have to give to educate as many coaches so I suppose I don't really have the answer but it's definitely just a, a toss up between what direction you want to go. I think both are very relevant, but it's how we use them to complement each other. Like, in a way, you need a certain amount of minimum standards. You need kind of... Like, it's very different in GA in that it's not as if we're all building towards an Ireland team that's eventually going to go somewhere. Like, Carlo is never going to team up at Wexford to go in the same direction, whereas you would hope in the long term the FAI are trying to bring everyone along together so that Ireland plays better. The RFU are trying to bring everyone along together so that Ireland rugby team does better. Same in hockey, same in athletics even. Whereas, gee, it's not the case. Like, like the ceiling is... The ceiling of competition is that bit lower, so there's, there's always more of a reason to not share no i still don't think it's right i'm still all for sharing and like damien down there and kerry will tell us that once a month him from legion and the lads from uh, dr croaks me up and share absolutely everything here's our warm-up here's our gps data here's all the games we play everything is open here's the dig <laughs> <laughs> so I, I do think that's always going to be something that's you know kind of grabbing your jersey and pulling you back a little bit that there isn't there isn't the full bigger picture there at the very end to try push things on a bit 
Um, but thankfully, you do see stuff then, like in the performance analysis, there's a shared Google Drive of all the games. Performance analysis are really good to, to interact with each other a good bit as well, whereas in some other roles... What you say, is that there. because they're not... A lot of them fellas aren't traditional GA, and I mean, and I, again, look, I'm using the word traditional, and I don't mean to use it bad, because, like, Jesus, I consider myself a traditional GA person, but is it because a lot of those people... I, I don't know whether it's true skill set or true their background. They're not that way kind of inclined of the Jesus, don't don't share it with him because i think it's amazing what they're doing. I like when I heard about that, I was going, What? In the GA who how nah, couldn't be. And he was going, Oh yeah, there's twenty two teams involved at the moment, you know, we're trying to get the rest. And I was going, Who who the rest? Like, is it just Dublin not sharing anything with everybody else? Um but I just thought that was so novel and so unique in the GA that there was a willingness for 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 performance analysis and I don't know is it just a case of that they're always trying to because as I said maybe it's just there's such a, a sort of small number of them that it's really focused on them improving themselves like is that the content that they're sharing like oh what did you do with this or what are you looking at like a like a, I've heard the cases of of one fella, um, oh, how true it is, but working with a leading inter-county team who was sacked because he put something up on YouTube, you know? On another team, he did a bit of analysis on another team, put it up on YouTube, and the inter-county manager said, nah, good luck. Like, and again, I'm just talking about, we're talking about the the, the traditional inter-county manager versus this this different mindset of, um person in performance analysis, like. I'm surprised the manager hasn't put a stop to that share in the videos, or at least tried to, you know, that, oh, there's 22, and then you hear, you're like, oh, yeah, there's only 20 now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I'd say there'll be something to say, but maybe some of them don't even know, like, well, they obviously do know, but, yeah, they know everything going on, but I just think it's 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 unique, the way that there's that kind of, I said, is it because of their background? Is it because they're they're not, you know, like a lot of the performance analysis aren't working for their actual home county as well, which maybe makes it a little bit easier. Yeah, well, it's definitely just uh, like linked as well to the just the development of the GA from a science perspective too. Um, like you, you have your performance analysis, uh, coming into the field now and uh, and getting very big there. You've nutritionists, you've S and C coaches, and for all of those areas, you do have to, you know, connect with other coaches. You do have to, you know, discuss different uh methodologies and and that so that I suppose maybe the, the the growth of the courses uh, that have been on offer over the the past 20 years has definitely um probably helped with um with developing that but you're 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 right these people are like say performance analysis there for that example uh, are very much kind of going against the grain of what is culturally bred into you in the GA um and that that's a very hard thing to go against um because like like uh, Murph just mentioned there, like like if you take me here at Killarney Legion, um, say Dr. Crooks, we all went to school together. We were all in class together. We were all getting detention together, playing playing on the school team together, uh, you know, going for lunch together. Even as seniors, you you still wouldn't share. You still wouldn't share a single thing that was going on your in your club. Like there was there was a wall there, and that's not just unique to us by any means, but it's um, it's very it's it, it's it, the GA is a very unique um kind of organization i guess we'd be here for a while trying to 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 delve into it 
Yeah, and you like you're naming a bunch of things there, like nutritionists and stuff like that. And I'm just, like, what came to my head when you named them all there is like they're all coming from an ac- academic background at the moment, you know, like and even performance analysis is an academic background at the moment with the course in Carlo and stuff. And maybe it's just because of that, because they have to share in that they have to do a thesis and they have to share their content, um, that they just kind of have this more. I don't know. Is it like is it like they they don't have to they're not going to solve the world all world's problems, you know? And maybe they acknowledge that because of their. Maybe it's just a challenge of them actually being in that setting of research that their tutor or whoever is their coordinator or whatever the title is, is, is kind of going, oh, yeah, but like, how are we going to do that? And their willingness to share and be open, like, is, is that it? And your work gets reviewed by, by, by your peers and you get feedback on it. You develop, they develop. And that, that it, it def- I, I would imagine it's linked in, in, into that, this, this, this kind of move but um, like you said, it's definitely a generational shift uh, is is going to be needed. I, I think for for things to move more like the AFL, you know, where that that content is just shared openly, kind of across the board of well, this is how we've done it. I don't know if we ever get that far. To, like AFL did, uh, what was it anonymize their GPS and share the full season's findings with all the rest of the league? I can never see you getting to that stage as much as you would like and as beneficial as it would be for research, for coaching, for everything, and even just the openness there. I, I just can't see us getting there to be honest. There's too much of that. Oh, we can't be telling them. I keep when I did me level one, was it six or seven years ago? And like we were asked, um, we were, we were doing with the, the stuff on stats, the twins from Monaghan were doing it was a really good uh session. But like the club beside us were there. Like, do you keep stats? Oh, we do. Yeah. What do you keep? Oh, you know, the score. And they just would give nothing away. Absolutely nothing. On like a level one course, what are you going to say? Give like three or four stats you keep? No, give nothing. Full deck of cards, completely in against their chest. Sure, they weren't curry fillers, John. <laughs> he struggled with him. But look, do you know what I said? I'm just thinking here as well. Like, is you go back and you look at films like. Um, Remember the Titans, you know, and there's a scene in that where your man refuses to share the videos, and you're going, like this is the sixties or seventies in America, high school football, and they share each other's each other's videos. Um, and I just I just think, look, as I said, I don't know, is it is it an Irish just an Irish thing that we left to get out of that we're a small bit begrudging of others and stuff like that? But it's um, it, look, it's interesting, you know, like uh, as I said, I'm just thinking there was one fella, let's say there's another prominent um, Facebook page, let's say in Cork and. There was a big. He went on a big rant two weeks ago, giving out about Rebelog. Um, they were sharing content and what we're doing with development squads and stuff. But you're like, what we do with an under fourteen or fifteen development squad is not going to make us win in all Ireland. Be the difference us winning all Ireland in years time, like, and who and why we why we share it, why we're conscious of trying to share stuff, is because yeah, we might have two hundred fellas in our under twenty under fifteen development squad, but there's another eight hundred kids the same age group who are out there with the club. And if, John, if you're coaching one of those club teams and you go, Jesus, you know what? Aidan O'Connell is giving us that or putting that out there. We might do that same strength and conditioning in the winter with our lads, with the rest of them. We're kind of going, well, here, this is a win-win. Like, no, we're not just improving the, the, the minority, the 20%. We're actually improving everybody. And look, the chances of somebody coming from everybody up to be a cockstar is slim. Like, it's very, very slim. But, Jesus, if we can improve the club game overall, like, it'll be, it can't help but not not make everything better eventually, you know. Yeah, we, we did a few open training sessions back. My first round through the development squad, the lads, you know, that would have led it to GDAs and Carlo, 
invited in coaches from all the clubs this is what we're doing with under 15 level development squad the lads who haven't made it you can just copy this training session and bring it back i'm actually shocked the lads kilkenny didn't come across and look at what we're doing in the carroll development squads <laughs> yeah to bring us back then to coaching the game how we got started on this i wasn't expecting to go on that that little discussion there um around like sharing the various content and trying to like trying to upskill coaches as best we can and make it as easy as possible for them to develop coaching skills but realistically what are we what are some of the key skills we're looking to coach like if we say like okay this was the old way of doing stuff this is how we would like coaches to to train teams particularly underage like kind of kind of 16 down what are some of the key things we'd like for them to develop or if we were to give them a number of basics after an award after a foundation or an award one what would they talking, potentially be? You're talking technical skills now, or, or what are we asking the coach as regards? Oh, the coach, the coach, the coach. Yeah. What, what would we yeah, like, like the coach to be able to do? See, this this is something that's constantly changing, and I think this is one thing where where I think the G we're a small bit slow, like in in evolving coaching. Like the stuff I put up there four years ago is probably dated, you know, and that's four years. That's that's quick. That's quick evolution, like, and and I find that that. Like what we want the coach to know, like as I said, back then it was coaches come in, they want to know the drills. That's what they as I said, they ask you for the drills. But I think a large amount of it now, I think the most important thing for coaches, I think, is communication. And every good person that we talk to at the end of various podcasts and stuff, communication is nearly number one. Um, that being able to actually talk to the players and be empathetic to them and the individual, and it just seems to be a constant know who know who you're dealing with know who you're dealing with talk to them be in touch with them um like even even one of the things that was said lately was like asking a player a week before a match if i tell you next week that you're not starting how are you going to react you know like sure jesus nine times out of ten fellas won't even tell the player they just named the team and they're just kind of oh, geez i hope he doesn't come over and ask me about it you know and like i think again going back on the amateur thing and the mass production is we expect an awful lot of our coaches as well. Um, we expect that our coaches have that skill set that they're actually able to communicate with a, with a 15-year-old or a 10-year-old or an 8-year-old. Where a lot of people don't have the skill set naturally and they don't, haven't acquired it through their profession. Like, I'd find with secondary school teachers now we're always very good with youth because that's their job is, is dealing with youth players, being able to talk to that age group. But I find that you'd have other people then from that wouldn't have that skill set that they've acquired professionally and through their, let's say, in their job, that we expect them to be good communicating and stuff like that and being able to be empathetic with the player and stuff like that. But we're never really giving them the skills and they haven't acquired the skills naturally. And I think I really do think that is one of the biggest challenges that we have as coach education um, in, the G, in the GA is that like we don't know what like john you could, i know you're involved in secondary school but like shane if you were just going if your financial background and you just all you're thinking about day to day is making money and how do we get rich like and you're not talking to anybody you're just sending emails how are you supposed to be able to go out and talk to a 12 year old and be able to empathize with them on what their situation is and it, it can be very difficult for a lot of coaches to be able to bridge that gap and i think our expectations a lot of the time as well like as I said, I'm probably contradicting myself on what I said earlier. Our expectation of what we expect of coaches is very high. But I think, come back to what you, the first question, like I think communication is the key. I think coaches who are actually able to talk to players um, and look at the bigger picture. Um, like uh, there was one workshop I did a few weeks ago and the coach at Nazi involved on the 13s or 14s and he said, no, he goes, we're, we're prioritizing winning the next three years. And I said, uh, 
All right. I said, what are you doing that for? And he goes, because half of these kids won't be involved in the J club in 10 years' time. And he goes, so isn't it as well that they have a good experience while they're here? And I was kind of going, all right, yeah. Do you know what? He has a small bit of a point, like. But I said, shouldn't your ambition to try to be to keep them all, to keep those 10 players involved in the GA club in 10 years' time? And and he just didn't, just didn't do, we just didn't agree in it, like. Um, but he made a valid point. Like as I said, if, if you know that that the GA club will not have half of these players in 10 years' time, wouldn't you try to make it as as a good experience as you can now? Um, no, there's obviously going to be a bit of, if you're focused on winning like that, there's obviously going to be a bit of uh, spill-off. But, but I said it was something that we don't, like, I never would have considered, like. Because they can come back then. You know, say if they do give up. Like, no matter what you do, they're going to give up. But they can come back in later life when they move to an area and want to make friends and they have that, that slight bit of familiarity with the local GA club. So might go down again to meet new people. They may have children years to come and get involved as coaches, as if they're if they're Shane there making his his millions, potentially billions, knows how to work an all Excel spreadsheet, could get involved as a club treasurer, could get involved as you know if they're used to leading in business, could get involved as a club chairman and drive standards from that end as well. Because and because they've had a positive experience as a player, they're far more likely to get back involved in again later. Just on that, then, if there are some of the, the key skills we want in coaches, is that something we look to develop? Or, like, okay, obviously, in an ideal world, we would recruit people with those skills, obviously, not so hard. And that does bring us to the question of how do we actually recruit people to get involved? It's something like has been by a mile the biggest challenge as coaching officer for a few years was getting new people involved. And then once you do have them involved, how do you balance? Okay, now that you're involved, here's all the stuff you have to be good at. And, like, really frighten them away when you do get them in. Yeah, like, uh, do you know, even the tweet I put out there last week, there was somebody came back and said, ah, but sure, like, they've got to do the safeguarding and they've got to do the guard of it and they've got to do their foundation course. And I'm going, yeah, yeah, give me some solutions here, will you? But in fairness to GA, I have come with solutions and a lot of that stuff. But but I think how do you recruit coach, how do you recruit people is, as you said, I think one of the most important and the undervalued things in the clubs uh, is actually having somebody, a recruitment officer. And I'm saying that now when people are going, oh, for fuck's sake, another job, another job for somebody. But what I mean is that identifying a specific role for a person, that 99% of people who ask to get involved in a GA club are asked at underage level, under 10 down, by someone going, Jesus, over the fence, will you come in and give us a hand there with that group? And the person going, oh, no, Jesus, no. But that person, as I said, could be really good at some specific role, not coaching. Or it could be coaching, but they're afraid that, Jesus, if I go in there now, I'm going to have to get carry the gear down on a Saturday morning. I'm going to be down a half night to set up the pitch for 10 o'clock. I won't get out there till half 11. Sure, the wife will kill me at home with the other two kids. And you know, But if we said to that person, do you know what? Can you come onto the pitch at 10? Leave at 11. Everything else will be done. You just need to look after the group there. So I think if we can specify what we actually want people to do as opposed to will you give us a hand because give us a hand or sit or will you come on the committee is uh, 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 people don't want to go near any of that stuff. But if you said to me, if I said to you, John, like, John, we're going to set up um, a coaching committee. Anybody, do you think do you think Damien and Shane might be interested in getting involved with that? No, there's no fundraising, no fixtures or nothing. All we're going to do is we're going to just look at the coaching in the club and how we can improve it. Nothing else. Do you think the boys would be interested in that? And you're going to say, geez, well, look, they hate money. They hate meetings. This might be something we'll start out. Like, uh, But I think if we can be really specific, and I think the, the GA, we're not, we're brutal, and it goes back to the communication. 
how do we actually get someone? Imagine if we had one good recruitment officer in every club who's getting training from Craw Park and Munster and Leinster and all of these and getting a couple of workshops a year and being given skills to actually be able to go out and recruit people because you see loads of workshops for recruiting volunteers, but sure, there's nothing really... Again, they're all too bland. They're too, they're too beige is a word that, that I heard lately. You know, it kind of ticks an awful lot of boxes, but we just need to tick one real specific box. And I think everybody will do something. And I don't know what club it was before, but they on their now I know there's no there's no paper membership forms anymore, but they actually had the membership form at the front and on the back the parent had to tick a box, tick one box and did thirty-five different roles, help with sandwiches, whatever, once a month. Um can you do registration? Can you do the nursery coordination? Can you be a coach? Can you work go on the finance committee? Can you go on the coaching committee? Blah 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 blah. Tick a box. Every person just looked at that and you go. Yeah, sure, look, I'm an accountant. I might be able to help him with the finance committee. So that person then is going to work into a group where it's not just him, just three or four of them, and it makes it easy. And I think I think we're just bad at just specifying what we want someone to do. Um, and I don't know how you'd feel from your own experience in that, like, but I think, like, committees, jeez, I got I got co-opted onto the committee in the club this year because I was, um, my, I went off Zoom half an hour early before the AGM finished, you know? And somebody put my name down for it, and I'm going, oh, committee. But sure, do you know what? It's actually grand note to actually be on because I don't have to drive down there. I'm living in Cork. It'd be 35 minute drive down, you know, every four or five weeks to be listening to finance and upgrading the path around the pitch and this kind of stuff. Like, but if there was only a coaching committee, which we had in the club for a long time, it's kind of died away the last two years with, with COVID and whatnot. But geez, I used to enjoy those meetings because we used to write good conversations at it. Um, but I do think that we were a small bit focused on the top end when we should have actually been focused on the bottom end. How can we go back and help the six, seven, the under six coaches, seven coaches, and eight coaches? And I think if you did that, I think if you only focused on three, four years of coaching and helping them people to be better, you'd be a lot better. But I'm just, and when I say that, I'm not about the whole team. I'm not about the manager with that group, the person doing the registration, the person doing the texting, the person writing the report for the PRO. That's not just the one person doing everything. It's not just me as the manager doing everything and carrying the bags and everything that I've got John you're going to do this Damien you'll do that Shane you'll do this but it's specific and it's not it's not generic and I think I think that's where clubs fall down but I think that's that's where a lot of clubs you can you can get great change out of that I think if they were really identified what the roles were and went after people fitting that kind of description I, I think that's a really good point around like there are so many beneficial jobs that people have the skill set for but it's identifying them and even sometimes the specific role they would fit into like I know absolutely top class coach educator he, he, he he's the lead of coach education in Leinster Cullen Clear he said when he was running the the nursery in Port Leash his own club that the fellow who was helping him out like Cullen just made up a little poster and your man looked at it and says do you know could, could you give me could you give me an evening and, and I might I might do something with that and he came back the next day and Cullen was looking at it, like this is unbelievable. Yeah, my day job is a graphic designer. He was like, what? Like, this is perfect. So they now use him to make up any kind of, any big recruitment driver doing or anything that's on. Well, your man just makes up in like five minutes and it looks unreal. And that's like a really suitable role for his skill set. Whereas like so often we find someone who's a coach or oh, they're good at doing jobs. We'll get him to be chairman. We'll get him to be coaching officer. We'll get him to, and they just get, you use them too much in the first year or two. And they're doing all these roles that they don't necessarily have the skill set for. I think that can annoy people. Like for people who just want to get involved in coaching, then they're ringing around managers, trying to organize matches, trying to see, okay, where do I get the jerseys sorted? Whereas if you can like divvy up those jobs 
and a good few people have something really small to do it can be so much more manageable and you have far more longevity in it one thing i want to touch on there and it's something you mentioned and is a really important point because clubs can be quite polarized on it in some clubs some clubs like all players yeah they're involved in coaching no question other clubs that is such a no-no they're like they're concentrating on playing like you leave them alone and somewhere in between how can we make that as easy as possible for players to get involved without a huge onus on time because so many obviously do commit a lot of time to clubs because realistically it is probably one of the keys to like drive role models for younger players and to just have kind of that bridge between younger players current players and future the future of the club like yeah no, you've, you've you've ticked a couple of boxes here about driving the bridge and being role models and stuff like that like like you you know killer you mentioned we talked about killer dang in there like and Dar Egan was on with us and he said like during the winter they asked every four players to go down one night and that's all they had to do for the whole winter go down one night work at the station stay there for the night just fill out a little comment on each player as they came job done um but what that does like as I said it just does so many beneficial things but I think the clubs that are saying ah no look they're focusing on they're doing enough already they're trying to win the county like that's top end stuff that's the, the adult section of the club dictating to what the juvenile section should be doing um I think what's important is that there's, I suppose, a responsibility of the players that are there currently to to give something back other than playing. But we have to make it as easy as possible for them. That if if we're Damien, I want you to come. Damien, Jesus, you're playing away. You're training three nights a week. You're going to the gym another night. How can I get Damien down to coach? Damien was fucking. He was brilliant at the summer camp there two years ago with the lads. They loved him. How can we get him down to coach? Damien, what night do you training? Tuesday and Friday. Right, half seven. If we train from half six to half seven, would you be able to give us the first 45 minutes? Not asking for another night, not asking to go on to matches on Saturday, not asking to do the jerseys. As I said, these things that scare people off when you get involved, not asking to do anything except be on the pitch at half six, tip away at quarter past seven, we'll just play a match amongst themselves for the last 15 minutes, you go over and you do your warm-up with the, with the seniors, whatever it is. And I think if we can define it and make it, again, go back specific and what the role is you want them to do because... The fear, like, we were very fortunate now last year with the minor team in the club that we had two young fellas, um, two of our senior players, went down and coached them. But they just trained every single night before the seniors. And the boys went over and they just basically hop over the fence at half seven and get straight involved with the training. And it wasn't an extra night for them. It was no extra thing because, look, they were probably going to be down at seven o'clock anyway. So now they just got to be down a bit earlier. Um, But the young fellas absolutely loved it, the minors. They they loved it. And what they, what they loved mostly and... I don't mean this in a bad way to any parents, is that it wasn't a parent involved coaching. It was actually somebody outside of that little circle of them and their parents and their family caring about them. And the young fellas, no, they didn't they didn't win the county or nothing like that, but there was some buzz around their trainings. Numbers were up. They were just, you know, it was enjoyable now to watch it and see them kind of, the young fellas kind of just embrace the situation. But the two boys, the two boys on the coaching team as well, um, they both play senior hurling. They're two of our better players. And one of them in particular, like, I think he learned an awful lot himself about the game. And what I mean by that is that, yeah, it's easy. We can blame the manager for things. But all of a sudden, he was in the manager on the sideline losing team. And just so, and he said it to me. He goes, there was just nothing we could do. Anything we tried to do wouldn't change. And I said, I hear you, man. Now you understand how we feel a lot of the time. And I think I think for, for some players, what it will actually do, and I, I felt this myself when I started really coaching at a high level, 
is I had an understanding of the game myself a lot better than I had previously. So, now I talk to other people and they say, look, they understood the game 15. They knew exactly, you know, as much as they know now as a player. But I, I really didn't until I was probably 25, 26. I was just going to play and I enjoyed it. I just loved going to play and I didn't think too much about tactics or what I was doing off the ball or anything like that. I was just going to play and trying to score and learning and trying to defend the football. But a lot of players, what you see is they, their understanding of the game because they have to look at it from a completely different perspective. Is their understanding of their game and the responsibility of them on the pitch will actually really improve them and stand to their game. So, like, I don't know how you feel yourselves about that. Like, is it maybe I was just a late developer, but I think I was 26. I can remember I take it back, I was going, fuck, like, I'm, I'm just thinking about the game completely different than I am before. So, like, I don't know, like, I said, you'll tell me now that you were all eight, nine, and whatnot. I was the exact same, completely changed. I actually changed position once I started coaching because I just thought about the game completely different and it suited to play in a different place than I did where I was before that. Damien, what are you like in Legion in terms of like senior players? Because you'd have like some notable All-Ireland winners. Like, Have you kind of a model for getting back involved? Is it up to each individual? Because I can imagine like a young lad at home in Killarney looking at Legion, because you, you'd have a good few televised games, sees Damien O'Sullivan and is like, oh, that's the lad that was down a trend a few weeks ago telling us to... Do trap our deadlifts, forget about football. <laughs> <laughs> uh, more like start, uh, start drinking water. But um, yeah, it's, uh, I, I wouldn't say that there's a set system at all. There, there's, there's no set sy- system there. But like even if we take like during lockdown, like even like whether it's um, getting some senior players from both the, the senior ladies team and uh, our, 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 uh, our own senior team as well, just to do maybe Zoom, you know, uh, uh, hit classes and just like talking through the exercises why this might be benefit how to do it well you know uh, encouraging kids it's uh it, it's gone down a massive treat but i do know that like in normal times i guess you know when we're on the field it saturday mornings getting down to you know the 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 um to the underage kind of camps and uh and that that would be on it gets quite tough because of like you mentioned con that like it's an extra day you know you might have a game uh, on the Saturday evening, you might have a game on the Sunday, and you've already trained on the field three nights during the week. You might be driving. Some people might be living above in Cork, driving out to Killarney uh, or wherever. You're just, you know, you're you're spent, and you're looking for that little bit of time back to yourself. But we've been lucky in in a lot of ways that I think there there's just a very good kind of club mentality. But I do feel that from I suppose speaking to people in different clubs around the country, that that club um ethos that drive to give something to your club isn't something that's there in a lot uh i suppose in a lot of senior players it is kind of the fella who maybe he's no longer playing has a, a maybe has has a, a son or a daughter who's in playing they're the ones who are going down giving that time and it's you know it, it it can be it can be tough for some players to to kind of uh pull themselves aside and go look here I'm giving all this time to the club as it is, maybe I should give uh, an extra little bit to to the underage whereas most lads I think uh just kind of look at their their time across the week really and go, it it it's a lot to ask so that's a fantastic idea that 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 um that you had by just having you know some of the underage training the hour leading up to the senior training that can be. Uh, that's a great idea but we've just been lucky uh uh murph to to put it to you honest uh that lads just want to give back you know they 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 want to be down they want to show face um and they 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 want to kind of go down and uh pass on some of their skills i guess but um 
yeah we we don't have a system no we, we don't have one it's just we're lucky just on a, on a slightly different point the the players seeing it more as less of a club thing and more of a we're pushing to be elite have you noticed has that been more of a recent thing and that because from kind of 14 onwards some players now are far more involved and spend more time with development squads and county teams than they do with their club from a younger age and is that is that possibly what's driving that because they actually don't have as much of a club influence as they do an inter-county influence or maybe a, a, a school and elite academy or whatever it might be um I don't. I don't actually have an answer. I, I I'll have to think about it. Um, yeah, it just popped into my yeah. head there. It's something I was chatting to another teacher in school about there not so long ago. Or Colm, have you noticed that even? Just little, as in the young fellas aren't involved with the clubs as much as it. Yeah, because some now, because development squads have grown so much and there's that bit more of an emphasis on them, and particularly now I've noticed, like, minor teams have really pushed, and like, in some counties, they've nearly drawn players away from club for a, a more extended period of time than previously, and so are some players who spend maybe two years minor, two years county under 20, and then are straight into a senior panel, actually have less and less time with the club than, than they do with county. Yeah, like, look, here, I'll hold my hand up here, and when, we were, when I was involved with Dublin Miners back in the day, Jesus, we used to go three times a week and like lads would basically just play with their clubs, you know, at the weekend. Um they did way more county stuff than 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 club stuff. Um but I, I I suppose look, I've been fortunate that I've been in on the inside um with development squads and stuff like that and like I'd have a small question question mark about the the need for a lot of them. Um like I think you look when when the under seventeen came back there a couple of years ago, went from under seventeen under eighteen to under seventeen. There was a lot of counties going, "Jeez, we need to start developing squads earlier," and I was kind of going, "Jeez, no, we need to start them fucking later. We need to leave lads, we need to leave lads alone." Because I think, I I'd say I could I could pick out a Tony Forrest and Sonny Walsh panel from five, six, seven, eight, nine years ago, and I'd say half of the players aren't playing first team with their club, and that's unbelievable to think of from my perspective that a fella's good enough to wear a cock jersey at 14 and he's not playing with his first club a team in the club and probably a quarter of them, of them aren't even playing anymore um and I, I i do think that the development squad system i i look i'm not a huge fan of it um myself as i said again it's easy for me to say i think there's a lot of stuff done for the sake of doing stuff because others are doing it oh carry are doing this cock better start doing that like I think it's every county is unique in its own way, um, and and I just I again I'm just not a huge fan of development squad systems. I don't know what you think about the no lads, but like I suppose look, it's easy for me in the inside. Uh, but like like what you said, John, I prefer lads to be out of their clubs hundred times of the year rather than being sixty times of their club and forty times of the development squad or whatever or whatever way it breaks down. Like I know, in fairness to Brian Cuthbert, he brought out the stuff about trying to link in schools and stuff. But like, we sh- we shouldn't have. I suppose look, I'll use cock perspective. We shouldn't have a young fella from Middleton playing Premier One going to school in Middleton CBS in a development squad until he's seventeen. He's getting the elite level coaching, training, and stuff like that without the county interfering with him. You've taken a different approach with underage. Not so much development squads, but very much underage county teams over the last few years in terms of entering the, the traditional Tony Forest and stuff like that. Do you want to give us a bit of detail on that? Yeah, like look, I, I was again I was on the inside, I was very lucky. Like we'd we'd an absolute golden spell at underage level in Cork in Cork Ireland last um 
probably the last seven years since I, since I came back to from Dublin. Nothing to do with me, you know, because all the work is done by the, the coaches and stuff. But I, I was kind of tasked with the, the Tony Tony Forrestal group. You know, each GDA was given a kind of under-14 hurling, under-14 football, under-15 hurling, under-15 football. But I kind of always stayed with the Tony Forrestal. And I think we won four out of six or something like that. And we won six out of six Sunny Walches, uh, which is the B tournament. And I'll say it straight up, we won because of numbers. We didn't win because we had the best players and thing. Because as you can see, subsequently a couple of years later, we're not winning all Ireland's at at minor level or under twenty one with the subs with those teams. But Cork were going down there. Like I remember, the this year's minor team actually they went down to Tony Forrest still. Um, the best players were played no more than twenty five minutes of any game, forty minute games. So we went into a final after lads playing. About 60 to 70 minutes hurling our starting team whereas the teams we were playing in the final they had a couple of humdingers they were after playing 100 120 minutes our 24th man because cork and the size of it our 24th man in hurling is going to be better than the 24th man in most other counties so if it did come to an injury thing we were getting the benefits of it but look i suppose no i love the days down there jesus it's a great tournament and it still is a great tournament um in whatever format it'll come back in but we were seeing players coming through Tony Forrestal, not baking another 15 development squad the following year and basically giving up. Stop playing with their club, not playing with the school. And in fairness, look, it was more Sean, the brother, would be very much kind of, yeah, we need to do this a bit better, you know. Um, so what we decided to do was forget about Tony Forrestal, forget about trying to win it because... I suppose no matter what way you portray it, if Shane, if you're under Tony Forrestal under 14 this year and you don't make it under 15 next year, you've been dropped. Whereas that's not what we what we were trying to do. But you, that's how you'll see it. And if Damien came, wasn't under 14 last year, came out to the under 15 this, next year, Damien's on a bit of a higher level. So all of a sudden, Damien feels a lot better about himself. You feel a lot worse and you're only going one way. Um, so we, we decided not to enter it. And what we said we'd do, we'd do an internal thing. So we said we'd have eight teams throughout the county, split geographically. Like in hurling, we've got three from East Cork, um, three teams from East Cork. In football, we've one team from East Cork and we've four from West Cork. Um, in hurling, there's only two from West Cork. You know, so we just built it around the strong clubs because traditionally we would have went east, west, south, and or east, west, north, and city. And Jesus, sure, the east, the east, fortieth men would be the starting player on every other team. But because of the traditional boundaries that we were dictated to, we weren't we weren't catering for that player. There was a fella was substandard from one of the other regions making a making essentially a county development squad because of where he was from. Um so so we just we changed it up. We said we'd do it internal. We'd we'd start with two hundred at under fourteen. At under fifteen we'd go down to hundred. At under sixteen we'd go down to fifty. At under six under seventeen, their county minors or their Celtic challenge. And what we felt is that we're not dropping you, Shane. It's just the net is getting tighter. And you're not being dropped. It's just, look, we 200 last year. We've only got 100 this year. It's nothing against you. It's just that we want to kind of have a natural funnel from top to bottom um, as opposed to being picking fellas, dropping them, picking fellas, dropping them. And the same fellas every year. I felt so. I felt awful. Fellas are coming in under 14, 15, 16, 17 for trials and they'd never make a cock squad. And that, that must be disheartening for young fellas. Um, so we, we just said we'd get rid of that system um, we went, as I said, the plan was 200 at 14, 100 players at 15 in each court, down to 50 or 60 at 16 and uh, at 17 then we'd, they'd, be cock, they'd be minors or not and I suppose our thinking was like if we can keep more players in the system a bit longer 
because like as I said when you if you think you're good enough for Cork and you don't make it it's it's hard to pick a lot of fellas up and it it was the rate of attrition as I said it, it was it's a scandal the amount of players that would have put it worn a Cork jersey at underage level and not playing with their clubs five years later like um it's a travesty like and for a club for a small club imagine you know, if you have a small club junior A or junior B and you've got this fellow who's playing Tony Forrestal under fourteen and by the age of sixteen he's not playing with the club no more and you're going this fellow's going to be our next star player. And he's not playing, and I don't look. Maybe he he wouldn't be playing anyway. But I don't think being part of the Cork structure and being elite and being put up on a pedestal, um, was something to help a lot of lads. So, so we, that's that's why we got rid of it essentially. Um, but the other thing was the football. The football we going to we brought four teams down to carrot don't water for, for football, and Kerry brought two teams down to bait shit out of us. So he said, forget about this as well, um, because we we, we do think that like. If Kerry's A teams would be a match for Cox A teams, wouldn't it be great if Kerry had 200 players as opposed to 50 brilliant fellas? And uh, I suppose, look, I'm not going to tell Kerry how to do the, their development squads because, look, obviously it works for them in the football. Um, but I'm looking at the hurling, then, if you're a hurling development squad and Kerry isn't isn't one or your two teams in Kerry, wouldn't they be a better match playing against A teams in Cork as opposed to your best team in Kerry playing against Cork's second best team? And I feel like, Jesus, in the Sunny Walsh, we beat them a couple of years. I remember one year they missed a free in the last puck of the game. To knock us out in the sunny Welch, and we went on and we won it in a canter afterwards. But like, it would have meant so much more to Kerry Hurling if they'd put that ball over the bar and won the All Ireland at under fourteen. And we take it for granted it's our B team, like, and we take it for granted. And I, it's just the whole thing of just All Ireland champions at fourteen is just, I just don't buy it. I just don't think there's value to it. No under fourteen team that's won a Tony Forrestal has won minor four years later in the, in the history of Tony no. Forrestal, is it? No, and and I just going to football to Tipperary. The we brought four teams down to Waterford football tournament a couple of years ago. Kerry brought two teams down, um, and look, you know what? We actually weren't too bad, but Tipperary actually won the tournament. Right, Tipperary had one team down there. But that Tipperary team played in 2020. That was their minor team in 2020. I think they got absolutely hammered by Clare. After winning the Munster under-14 football title, beat Kerry in a final. I think they beat South Kerry in a final. They came out of a group with, with a Cork team in it. Um, four years later, or three years later, a minor level, they got absolutely annihilated. And I'm going to go, no, did an awful lot of tool players, all right, granted. But, like, it's just, I don't know, I just don't see the value of telling fellas they're the best in the county at that age. Like, I just don't. I just don't, I just don't like it. Even at club level, I think some, I think, thankfully it is moving on a bit. In some areas, in some areas it's not. But that winning under 14 will translate to senior success later at club level. It, it's not the case. I, I do see it in some areas. Like, when we would have won, because we're like a really small parish, so we win very little underage. When we do, we tend to get an awful lot of future senior champions from it. I don't think it's because we win. I think it's because if we win something underage, we had 10 boys born. 14 years earlier and that's the big thing there's just more players in in that year to go on and progress to senior whereas the other clubs who've like dominated underage and never bring it through to senior because i think like getting a tougher time underage probably makes you a better player than winning something and what makes a good under 14 player a good under 14 team is often size or a little bit of like you know physical talent as opposed to the hurling talent whereas having to like fight for developing that bit of talent at 14 when you might be a little bit smaller and you put the onus on development even on yourself as a player will probably translate to a better minor and long term a better senior and by like you as coaches and as a county board putting that kind of focus on development and say we wanted to bring all of you forward to be future Cork senior stars as opposed to 
let's be under 14 championship under 14 champions i think in like long term like you're you're i assume you're getting criticism but long term it surely has to be a benefit I look, there was people giving out about it, but sure, like to be honest, I don't care. I don't care what, what people say about it. Um, it's easy for people, like people who want to win a Tony Farris, and here I was, believe me, you know, I was on the sideline at those finals, and I'd be going demented. Um, but like you know, it's easy for me to judge. But like people who are looking for for that kind of instant gratification, and, and you mentioned it as well about clubs. A lot of clubs that that win those fails and stuff underage, and like I, I don't know if your experience would be the same, lads, but and the same, the same clubs that are probably winning a lot of minor titles and stuff like that, and don't transfer to adult level. A lot of the time, there's a huge disconnect between the coaches of that group and the rest of the club, and what I mean by that is that if you're a coach, and it goes back to the Nafina, the Ballyboden, the Crocs, the Coolers, um, thing like it's just you're you're in your own little world with your own group. You know, whereas if you're in your club, as I said, John, if you've only got 10 boys, it's a good year. So you, you know everybody in the club. There's a community feel about it. Whereas those bigger clubs who are able to just kind of focus on their own thing because, yeah, sure, look, whatever the seniors are doing. And I don't know what your own experience is, Shane and Damien, about that. But, like, I think the bigger clubs would definitely suffer that where there'd be more little islands in the club. You know, it's not that all we're all in this together, you know, we all want, and again, look, I'm saying that, but the same people who got on a support team in the 12 county final as they will with the, the adult county final in the small clubs. But I think, Jesus, I'd say some clubs, sometimes in the, in Dublin especially, I'd say, you could be playing a minor final and half the club wouldn't even know about it. Well, it, 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 it's a bit, uh, see, it's a, uh, with less numbers in, in general, but being, uh, it, there, I suppose there would, you know, now that we're, we're talking about it, now I'm thinking about it here, um, there would be a disconnect uh, uh, to some degree, but I do see it beginning to change just because there are more, I suppose, there are more people getting on, you know, getting their, like you mentioned, you know, your coaching certs and, and that, and that there are a few good people popping up and starting to, to, to give back. See, you're starting to see conversations. Well, I'm, I'm starting to see, I shouldn't say you, I'm starting to see, in, in maybe in my own club and in, in one or two other clubs I um, have have some friends and we discussed that there's a conversation now going like well how do we bring bring people through through how do we hold on to people how do we get people playing football the way we like people to play in 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 our club so that you know that it's not just dependent on a new manager comes in to say the senior team and then the senior team are off in their own little bubble and the rest of the club is kind of more of a nuisance, you know, or just a kind of a distraction. There's more of a conversation now uh, starting to happen, like, you know, what what are we doing with the under-16s? What, what kind of skill set are we looking to develop with them that we want them to carry through and how they play, um, how they enjoy the game, you know, um, their involvement with the club, and how do we carry that through? So it's kind of like just, it's maybe starting to, uh, maybe the, the actual development of a culture, of uh, of performance i guess or uh, a culture of the club maybe i guess is starting to to come through a little bit as opposed to just being there in uh kind of just being there in conversation but not actually happening um but we much smaller numbers so we've you know uh, even though we're in it we're in a, a big town like killarney we're still never going to get anywhere near the numbers that you're going to get in in any of the cities uh, so it's it's still a much more manageable task i guess are croaks a lot bigger than you numbers wise uh at underage i think it's 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 pretty uh it's pretty even 
from what I gather, there was a big influx into 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 Legion there over the past few years. And is there another club in Killarney as well? There is. There's uh, Spa, uh, or the third club in Killarney. Then, um, so yeah, there's uh, they're uh, intermediate. Uh, so there's two senior teams and an intermediate team. The feed that that are all pulling. That's a good point you make there on like getting the under sixteens to play the way we want to play. And I think that ties into to call them to name your page coaching the game. And you said you have always put a big emphasis on playing the game, and there's always an element of the game in it. Is there? Because there's an awful lot of debate about this recently. I think football has really pushed on. Hurling is in its way there. Is it a case that in this bin here we have drills, and in this bin here we have games? And if you go to the one with drills, you're wrong. If you go to the one with games you're right or is there a big gray area in the middle where we can always find something of benefit in between the two yeah i'd like to, you use the, the words that i'm going to use the gray area um you've got black and white and black can be whichever one and white can be whichever one but i think the gray area in the middle is what you got to find um for your group so there's no point in saying here john this is what you use for coaching because the group you have are very different from the group next door and the group below you and the group the group in the club up the road so i think there's no set way, but like what, what I do say to coaches a lot of time is like, look, once you get, once they're competent in the skill. So what I mean by that is if a child can pick jab, lift the ball in hurling or hand pass the ball in football, next level. What's the next level? Because we don't want to be doing the same crisscrossing hand pass and drill in 12 years time, which we do see a lot of the times. We see coaches going through and they're doing the same skill. But then like you talk to someone like Paddy Christie then and Paddy Christie said, we get the lads five yards away from each other, kicking the ball straight at the other person just to concentrate and catching it and you're kind of going well that's that sounds like a fucking drill to me like and Paddy Christie says I've done that with every team we've ever done underage and in the club and you know there's benefits to it because if you can't catch the ball you're no good and I just you know like you'd hear a lot of stuff like that and you kind of go yeah like it's not one way or the other and it shouldn't be one way or the other and it is about having the conversation about um you know what suits the group best because i think that's the important thing i think is is looking at the group you have like if you've got a group that can't kick the football geez you might just have to go back to the very very basics and teach them the technique um be that through drills or whatever format and i think the other thing with what you said as well john is there's a misunderstanding on the use of the word games and drills um like i consider a game anything where there's a bit of pressure so what i mean by that is if we've got three three under four three twelve year olds on one side uh, on the end line at three under 21 and you're standing in the middle as the coach trying to block their kick i consider that a game whereas some people might just say that's a drill but i consider that a game because it's an advanced it's advancing the basic the very very basic concept it's bringing it from close to open like there's just a little bit more decision making involved exactly yeah and like as i said i think a lot of people would still see that as a drill bad but like as i said once the child has to as i said get the head up and make a decision like as i said moved them on uh, and, and it's a game but as I said I think once they can master a skill at a basic level what's the next level and if you have a coach who's just getting involved for the first time and so many fall back on like okay the last time I played or the last time I was training I did this drill I will use this here now and okay there are so many things we can discuss about that but if a coach is predominantly lying, relying back on the drills they did how could they look to transition to becoming more more open more games based more decision making in their players what, what are some simple steps to progress them on that path I think it's a bit of coach education a bit of um, like I think one of the best things you can do is ask them ask them questions 
do you know like i think if anyone what we've just discussed if we say right that player can do that exercise perfectly like the old age the old, the old thing was do it faster and do it quicker and do it harder and run you know and i think add, it, add in more to, balls add in more balls yeah do you know and it's 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 those kind of simple things that actually the coach isn't challenging himself at all i think that's a large part of it as well as just challenge the coach being willing to reflect and challenge is I think that's the most important part of coach education is can we actually get coaches to think about what they're doing that they're not just doing something they picked out of a book because look there's loads of books out there and Jesus I've put a load of them out there you can I was actually them. teeing you up there to mention a few of your books yeah. if you wanted <laughs> <laughs> going games based yeah. um, but, but they are like it's just there's loads of stuff out there but if you don't understand why you're doing it or what the purpose is of it you shouldn't be doing it you know and we do see that thing as well where where you know you go down and watch the inter-county team and, and I, I do think this is a common enough thing as well is that inter-county teams a lot of the time they don't do complicated stuff people are are not happy they're not satisfied when they go watch an inter-county team train they go is that all they did and you're kind of going well look that's that's what they do yeah but like obviously they're working at a different skill set of what other people are but a lot of time people aren't you know, they're expecting this mad drill that's going to crisscrossing and there's going balls going up and down and in and out. And, you know, it's not it's not like that. But I think I think any good coach will bring it back to the game. What is the skill? Like, as I said, look, I play games in primary school. I've never done a drill with primary school. And I only mainly do junior and senior infants. We play games. And if we're doing hurling, we'll play, we'll play Rob the Nest or, Flush or uh, No Man's Land where they're striking the ball. But there's a purpose to what they do. They're making a decision on what they're hitting, where they're hitting it. And the same when we're playing Rob the Nest. They've got to be, they're dribbling the ball, but there's somebody coming against them or they're trying to get the ball off somebody in the area. And it's a game. And they're able to go from the very, very most basic level of playing a game to learn how to kick the ball and strike the ball. And I'm kind of going, when I see coaches and going back to the old stuff, it's just, look, as I said, it's a flaw in the coach education. We're not, we're not challenging that person like and speaking a bit of old stuff there, something that kind of, oh, I suppose around 10, maybe 12 years ago, they sprung up around the country was hurling walls. And your first kind of, I suppose, thought would be they're very much lended towards drills or lines or whatever like that. And I know you brought out a book on it, feel free to plug it here now, but how, what are some of the most effective ways, like, or is the poking at the wall, is it still beneficial? Can we develop it onto some bit more of a game-based scenario? Or again, is it a case of using both and, and living in that grey area in the middle? Yeah, that's an interesting one, you know, and it's, it's got a bit of, a bit of let's say, um, discussion lately, but like, there, there's benefits to the hurling ball. And what I mean by that is that um, there's benefits and there's, there's overuse sometimes. What I mean by overuse is if there's a hurling ball there in the middle of summer and you've got young fellas standing in the line waiting to hit the ball against the wall when they could be out the pitch doing something a lot more beneficial, then you're not doing a good thing. But if you're uh, if you're Tom Hanks and you get uh, your plane crashes and you end up in a on an island where there's a wall early in a ball, like don't tell me pucking the ball off the wall for two years isn't going to make you a better hurler than you would be if you weren't pucking a ball off the wall for two years when you came back. And but I'm not saying what I mean by that is like it's not the go to. But if Colin Crowley or if Tony Kelly is working in in Clare and he's working out in some village somewhere and he's inside and at lunchtime he says, Do you know what? I'm going to go out and buck the ball against the wall for 15 minutes. It's not making him a worse player. And just people will say that, oh, yeah, but that skill doesn't transfer over. Yeah, but like just still other parts of it that do transfer over. And a lot of it as well is the mental, the mental side of it. I think that's the most important part of bucking the ball against the wall is the mental side of it. Actually being able to just relax. And there was, I don't know, it was a torpy Hurley's brought out and taking over his mindfulness for hurling, just pucking the ball against the wall. 
and it was just an article that they put out um i could be wrong now it was one of the, the hurley makers but it was just about that about just actually going out standing 10 or 15 meters from the wall and pucking the ball against the wall or kicking the ball against the wall there's a there's a there's a calmness to a person to just do that and that's going back to the very very basic but look as i said i think the, what people what a lot of people do is they focus on the wall when like i most walls that I see now have an astroturf beside it. Some sort of a, they've got an astroturf surface or something. And I'd say use the area as opposed to using the wall. Like, one of the things that, that I like to do now in Blown to School in, in Bandon with Hemi's, um, when we're stuck in the ball wall for a while, is we could have farted them inside there. And it's, it's a nice enough size ball wall, let's say, with a, an astroturf. Let's say it's probably about five goals, so it's probably about 35 yards long. Um, but we play this game where they must get, uh, you must get three passes, but then you're shooting the ball, striking for, against one of the goals. And whenever the ball rebounds out, you just play on and restart the game, you know. So we're using the wall and we're getting a purpose out of it. So if we didn't have the wall, we just have to do passes, passes, passes because we've nowhere to, to hit the ball to. But we're getting an in product out of our activity from that, you know. So it's a high competitive, highly competitive activity of 13, 14 year olds are doing. But there's 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 great there's great value to having the wall there at the end, you know, that you're actually playing a game. And there's an end product. Because I think that's one of the things with games a lot of people do as well is to just play game and game and game. What's the end product of the game? The end product of the game is try to get scores, outscore the opposition. And I think if we can put the... What a lot of coaches, they don't do is they'd have this lovely... They might get a quarter of the pitch in front of the goals and they don't use the goals for a whole hour. They're going like, that's... What do you want them to do? You want them to kick the ball over the bar, put the ball over the bar, into the back of the net. Use the goals as the end product of the game. So if you're doing a possession game, three on three in a small square, five metres by five metres or ten metres by ten... And after three passes, put the ball over the bear. Don't just keep going for two minutes and we're just trying to flag each other. Then throw in another ball. Yeah, we can still flag them, but we can get an in product of what they're doing. So I think it's the same with the wall. Is don't use the wall as the focus. Use the area as the focus, but use the wall as an accompaniment. I think some videos that came out maybe oh, are probably about 10 years old now around like some of the older expert coaches having the 45 minute long wall ball sessions where you're just pucking, 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 coming away with sore hands. They probably drove people a little bit too much in one direction. What you mentioned there, I think can be an excellent way of using the the game skill game model or the play teach play model you play some game you may have noticed a little deficiency in your players that may require a bit of isolated practice that you can do against the wall then bring that back into a game as well and it's a nice way of blending them both together um just because we're very conscious of your time now column coaches going back in about a week's time underage players back out again what would be your number one number two number three perhaps top tips to focus on when you get back out on the field there quite soon and you can feel free then to, to plug your own podcasts and stuff all like that afterwards no, look, as I said, I think it's very simple. I think I think games, 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 games. And what I mean by that is that uh, I, I, I still play junior hurling um, poorly. And I still play junior C football and junior C hurling this year, hopefully. Um, but I, I don't really go down training too often if there's training calls. But I'll be there for the match. And I think it's very important as well that, that with, the, with the last year and a half we've had for young fellas, They've missed their, like we've got under eights now who've never played a match or under nines who've never played a match um where they've never actually put on their club jersey meaningful in a meaningful game and, and when i say meaningful game against an opposition i don't mean championship or anything like that but i think it's just important that kids actually come down and enjoy themselves because i uh, like you'd see one or two things popped up there now last week and when things were back about teams doing fitness tests and you know this kind of stuff you got christ it's the last thing you want to do with them are you sure what are they fitness testing them for? They've, they've probably done, most of them have done nothing, unless you're senior elite club team or whatever, or ambitions win the county, you're probably tipping away, but like, use the time to play 
as many games as possible. And when I say games, I'm saying hurling football, whatever. But play other games. Like one of the things we did last year, um, we got the do you know the the spike ball, the spike ball net. So we, we actually got that and we brought it down and we just picked names out of the hats. So players were in pairs and we played a doubles game every night. So myself and John against Damien and, and Shane, three touches on your side and off the spike ball net. But Jesus, lads were coming down half an hour early for training to play in it. And we used to just play one game a night before training. So 20 past seven, whatever the two teams were on, they'd play each other. And other lads were coming down just to play it because it was just something different and it was a bit more lighthearted and stuff like that. But like... I'm not saying everyone go away and play spike ball now. Be a, but there will be a hurling championship of spike ball in two years' time, so you can start practicing. But it's uh, it, I think it's it's important for kids that that they're coming down and they're actually they're playing lots of matches, lots of small sided games. They're not doing any fucking drills where they're lining up waiting for somebody else. Get them out. Get them kicking the football. Get them striking the ball. Um, uh, and like, games could mean anything to 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 different people. But all the kids want to do is play a match. Um. And I think if coaches don't overvalue your own coaching is what I'd say. A lot of the times coaches think that our ah, training, you know, I get it sometimes. Oh, do you know, sure, we're, if we've got nine matches the nine, next nine weekends, when are we going to train? We've only one night a week to train. I'm going, yep, yeah, that's, that's loads. And that's, young fellas don't want to be fucking training three times a week for one match. And we put, we've actually had Poland coaching the game at the moment to see what, what do people think is the correct ratio. And two is to one for on go games under seven to under nine is is leading the charge at the moment. Two training sessions, one one game. I'm going, Jesus, if kids had their way, they'd play fucking 40 games in one training session. So cater for the for the, the stakeholders. And don't don't mind what you think and what people tell you is best. Do what, what the kids want. If you ask the kids when they come down the pitch, what do you want to do? They will say, play a match. Are we playing a match tonight? When are we playing the match? Just play the match and appease them. And so there'll come a time where they understand that, yeah, we need to improve our skills and we'll do an exercise then or an activity or a drill or whatever. But leave them play the matches because that's all they want. That's all I want, anyway. Junior C level. That's the enjoyment. It's 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 such an important part of the of whatever. It doesn't matter it doesn't matter what sport you're playing. It, it like if if anything feels like a chore or that's just not fun. Especially for children, it, you're you're going to lose them. They're going to they're going to look elsewhere for for other uh other sporting options too. Um, and you risk losing them, I guess. And feel free to plug your own podcast or website and your coaching books and like that. Then, yeah, look, the, the coaching the game is at game coaching on Twitter. Um, anyone can follow it and find it, and you might find something useful. Kind of as I said the last year and a bit now I haven't been sharing much content myself, but I'm sharing what other people are doing. So I said if there's something good out there, I'll, I'll try to share it um for coaches to see. And uh the Roy Arbison Tattoo or a Roy Arbison Tattoo podcast is uh I suppose look, do you know what it was we, we set it up because I'm in Cork, the two boys are in Dublin and just a good way to stay in touch with each other. Um but we watch a sports film, we get on some some good coach or well some some reputable coach comes on with us has a chat about the coaching in a film so we've um varied list of people as i said you can check it out it's on twitter and instagram um and as i said there's some very good content in there um and as i said if you like films like sports films listen out for the one that you that you might like and see what what way we look at it as i said i find it very interesting just from the perspective of actually watching sports films not for the film as much anymore but more for the coaching and uh, like it's just it's actually interesting from that perspective um 
So we might do a crossover there someday, boys. You can pick a film and we'll 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 have it all have you all on for it. But it's um I do know what it's a bit of crack, and as I said, it's probably the same as you says. It's a great way to be in touch with people that you're that you're good friends with, and uh, as learning learning a little bit as well, and telling herself that we we need to watch this film now, uh, Saturday night, instead of watching the Kardashians or uh, buying buying Hollywood or whatever whatever the latest nonsense is. So it's all good. You can pencil us in for Space Jam too. Space Jump to come release day. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you get a trip to the we... cinema of it, even. <laughs> the set up recorders <laughs> at the back of the cinema. Did we I actually... Good old piracy. Yeah, we, we've a plan. We've planned that someday we'd like to think that we'd either get a cinema like that or go into the, the Lighthouse Cinema in Dublin or something like that and put on some film and four people sit up at the top ten and we'd go through the coaching in the film and because uh, I did serve a few points there as well. But uh, <laughs> as I said, that, that, that's where we think it would be good crack sometime. As I said, even in a pub, um, trying to film, but Jesus, I can imagine how after two hours fellas watching the film, if he, there'll, be no, there'll be no listening to us. There'll so, be uh, some serious analysis, yeah. Yeah, maybe they'll be all saying we're brilliant, though, so it'd be, it'd be interesting. But but I do think it's actually, that's something we would love to do, is just, Jesus, as I said, like the two lads now, we're good friends. Um, we, we'd love, you know, just love to just go for a, a pint and have a chat about something. And as I said, that's, uh, that's something we'd like to do with, with people because, because it's important, it's important to meet up and spend time with each other because... It's completely undervalued in, in life and the older you get like i i just said the twins last last weekend um one of the other lads has a second child on the way in a couple of months time one of the other fellow had his fourth child two weeks ago um time time gets short and your friends get short get shorter like you know so it's important just to stay in touch some bit you know Colm, absolutely brilliant with your time and uh i'm sure you've you have a busy house to get back to there as well so thanks a million for that and uh we'll see you all again next week